Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Viz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 237, and today's guest is Sean Duffy, co-founder and CEO of Omada Health. There is so much going on in the healthcare industry, it is truly a transformative time that spans across the full spectrum. Whether it's advancements in medicine, operational improvements, and obviously so many more opportunities, there's no shortage of innovation. Thus, I always get excited when I have a chance to interview an entrepreneur who is scaling a company in this industry. Omada Health has raised over $250 million in venture capital funding, and they're on a mission to help people make significant lifelong changes through incremental steps. They're making it possible for people with chronic conditions to achieve long-term improvements in their health, and we get into all the weeds of how they're accomplishing this very meaningful goal. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Sean's full background story, including his initial experience in the healthcare industry, his time at Google, IDEO, and a side hustle business that still operates today, his fascination with building out ideas, and how it led him down the path of becoming an entrepreneur, all the details on Amada Health and how they are making a difference in the healthcare industry, plus the complexity of their business model, a look at their Series D round of funding and the growth plans ahead, hiring advice when scaling your company, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, is your company hiring? If the answer is yes, then what are you doing to build up your company's employment brand? If you don't have a content strategy, then it is likely that you are just flying under the radar. The good news is that VentureFizz can help. A subscription to VentureFizz includes a content playbook for sharing all the details on your company, its people, and culture. We leverage all different formats for our storytelling, including video, podcasting, employee profiles, and so much more. Reach out to info at VentureFizz.com to learn all the details. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Sean. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Happy to be here, Keith. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because you're obviously a great entrepreneur who's scaling a great company, which we're going to talk about. But before we get into all that, there is so much going on in the healthcare industry. And when I have someone like you as a guest, I need to get perspective on you know, we're in this transformational era across all industries, but healthcare is definitely, you know, one of these that's just going through radical transformation. So what excites you about kind of where we're at and, and what the future, you know, is, is, is heading? Well, it is, it is a remarkable moment to be a healthcare entrepreneur. Uh, and, you know, this is a window where 10 years from now, like books will be written about this era. And what excites me is there's this incredible transformation that's happening, bringing more care services to the digital era. Uh, and it's something that obviously we've long championed, but the, within the context of COVID, that's happening at a quicker pace than, than ever before, which is going to result in some really foundational improvements for uh, not only the, the way that it feels to get care in the context of today's system, but also the economics of how, how care is delivered. Yeah, there's so much going on. And it's just what I'm excited about is um, the focus on the individual personalization, consumerization, you know, you don't, you know, those hospital bills that you just can't read, you know, that, that, that's starting to change too. Uh, you know, telemedicine, it's just like so much that's really exciting. And it's all leading down the path of greater care for the individual. Right. So, uh, and that's, that's what matters. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's funny. It's things people have talked about for, you know, five, 10 years. I mean, myself included, like, wait a second, this is happening. That's fabulous. Exactly. So, all right, well, let's rewind the clock. So uh, where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? I grew up in Colorado, uh, um, in a town called Colorado Springs. And, uh, you know, it was always, um, I love technology. Um, just loved 
anything related to computers and science. And, um, I, you know, I think the, I always joke with folks that I'm pretty sure I was still wearing sweatpants junior year in high school until my, uh, my sister was like, Sean, you're, you're never going to go on a date. If you continue to wear sweatpants, <laughs> like you got to switch to jeans. Right. <laughs> um, so just, I, you know, I loved, I loved computers. And then in my, um, uh, you know, my mom, my mom was a nurse. And so, um, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a healthcare connection as well, but that, that was kind of the story of my childhood. And were you always like entrepreneurial? Was that something that you had a slant towards or? I don't know if I identified as such. I, I loved, um, I loved building like anything. Um, it didn't even matter. Was it a Lego set, a connect set, like, you know, a science fair project, like putting my hands on anything to build was something I just like helplessly was drawn to. So I think fundamentally it's, you know, essentially the same thing. You're creating something for, you know, the, the, you know, the, the world. I didn't have a lot of like business, you know, business building exposure, you know, through my immediate kind of family ecosystem growing up. But I loved, I loved just the, the, the practice of creation, um, uh, you know, which is, uh, it's kind of probably the thread that, you know, led me to Omada at the end of the day. And that was a ever present everywhere in my, you know, in my childhood. And then you went on to study uh, neuroscience at Columbia. So was uh, the thought also you know, to, to be a doctor eventually? Was that kind of the initial thinking? Yeah, that, that was kind of my plan. I, you know, I was like, you know what? I like science uh, you know, a lot. And uh, you know, if you're going to pursue a career, like you may as well do one where it's a good thing for, the, you know, for humanity. And so it was as simple as that. And so I studied, you know, I studied neuroscience um, and behavior um, in undergrad, um, uh, you know, but then kind of had this funny reflection as I graduated, I graduated in 2006, which was just this, um, you know, remarkable time uh, in Silicon Valley history. And it was one of those, mm -hmm. those moments I'd done my pre-medical requirements, but at night I just observed my own behavior and I was reading Slashdot at 3am, which is kind of yesterday's hacker news. And it was um, like, all I could, all I, all I could focus on was how cool Silicon Valley was at that moment. So um, uh, you know, when I graduated, I, it actually kind of pulled back from the idea of, of medicine for a bit, thinking that the worlds were binary and it was like, I have to try tech. So I ended up working in tech right after. Um, but, um, uh, you know, the plan going into to undergrad was to, was to do med school right away. So what, what did you do after undergrad then? I worked for Google. So I saw this kind of interesting job, uh, you know, at Google, um, you know, came out, uh, had a, incredible stint there, realized that maybe the world weren't so black and white and actually wanted to do, I was like, you know, I, I need to do something in tech meets healthcare. And at that point I had like absolutely wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I'd learned more about what that was. And so I went off to med school, Harvard has an MD MBA program that I enrolled in. And I thought I would just finish that and maybe start just a super tech forward primary care practice or do something in the building of healthcare that involved uh, technology in a deep way. Yeah, because one of the things, like I think when, uh, so when you were at Harvard, entrepreneurship was really starting to blossom, right? Like, I mean, there, there was a legacy of just, you know, it's management consulting, investment banking, but all of a sudden the entrepreneurial wave caught HBS uh, in, a, in a really meaningful way. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. It was a really transformative moment. I mean, first the, the MD, MBA degree was in, you know, became very interesting to a lot of medical students. Um, uh, you know, I think it was the early days of it. I think that's changing even more so. Like I think today's medical school class, it's, um, you're even more likely to find more folks that are not only kind of tech fluent, but on, entrepreneurial. Um, um, whereas that was a, it was kind of the, it was more of a rarity in my class, but it was, it was blossoming. It was starting to really, it was a pretty point. I mean, it was kind of a big tipping point, which is, which is, it was really awesome to see. And, uh, you, you know, cause, uh, 
entrepreneurs tend to gravitate toward problems that they're they really deeply understand. So we need more folks in med school wanting to start companies to solve the problems they see in front of them. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, um, like what happened next, right? So, uh, you know, like after you kind of were going through that program, knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur, kind of like what was the, the next step for you? Yeah, no, it was a funny, it was a kind of a bit of a funny journey. So the there's, a, there's somewhat of a requirement in that program that you need to um, take an internship that blends business and medicine between your first and second year. And uh, usually they'd set you up with an administration job at, you know, a mass general or a Brigham, just so you learn the business side of healthcare um, and at a bit more depth. But um, I had known some people at IDEO just from my, uh, you know, time in the Bay area. So um, back in, 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 you know, to this day, IDEO has a thriving healthcare practice, design practice, and I'd always admired the organization. So I just uh, emailed the person I knew and was like, you know, I have to, I've got to take an internship. Like any thoughts on if I could, hang out there for a summer and they said yes so you know i ended up uh, at ideo for a summer and sat really close to this you know gentleman adrian james who at that point ran medical products for omada and now you know became omada's co-founder um and um i just got the the budget and time from one of some of the early folks at ideo to explore opportunity um in digital health and it turned it kind of you know turned into omada so the um uh, I never actually, I never went back to med school. I just got, I, I took a year off and they gave it to me and asked for another year off and they gave it to me and I asked for a third year off and bartender cut, bartender cut me dry. So the rest is history. <laughs> so, so ideal. So you weren't actually doing like client-based work of, you know, designing or were you doing that too? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I was exactly. So I'd be staffed on uh, projects where you needed, uh, you know, a little bit more clinical judgment to be part of the design process on what, you know, would or wouldn't work for a patient or a user. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was, you know, that's there, uh, that was a really fun stint that just accidentally turned into a Mata. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's such a great firm. Now a little sidestep. So you started your own like little, well, I shouldn't say little, cause it's obviously something that became, uh, uh you know, its own little standalone entity, right? So Excel Everest. So like, oh. what, <laughs> yeah. how did you veer off it? Cause this is like Excel training. So <laughs> yeah. you, know, you bring up a, a funny, yeah. So the, um, uh, Again, I like building things, like just generally. Um, uh, and I was given the opportunity to do some, to participate in some Excel trainings while at Google. I, I, and I would actually consider myself like a, a reasonably, reasonably good at Excel, but I'm not the best in the world. But what I recognize is, my gosh, um, a baseline level of Excel knowledge can be transformational for people's careers because you can analyze data, you know, more specifically and easily, you can facilitate, uh, you know, richer decision making within your functional unit. And I think it needs to be part of the like basic blocking and tackling of anyone's career. And um, yet the, the the way, if you will, of like teaching Excel is you have an internal like Excel teacher come in and do two hours, which is doesn't even get you close to what's needed, or you watch videos. And so I just had this concept of, you know, Excel is so powerful, you can program it. So I built Excel Everest, um, which is a, a training system that is all written inside Excel. Think of it like an interactive book inside Excel where you open it up and it's got, you know, 41 different topic areas, 155 interactive exercises, and you like learn how to use Excel inside Excel and it self-grades you. So you have kind of a whole scoreboard of like, 
green, you know, blue and black exercises and, you know, the percent completion, you know, amongst them. And it really teaches you all the business fundamentals. Of so I just, I kind of just like, it was like kind of a nights and weekends thing. I just thought it'd be fun. I don't even know why I built it too fast. Um, but then in med school, um, everyone was, I started like, you know, people would I'd give it, give it to some of my med school students. Like, I should just set this up as a business. Like it's a cool product. It has value. And I think it'd be a good thing for the, for folks to get better at Excel. So I just, um, that was kind of my first, like, well, actually this, you know, I'll just set this up as a little side business. It continues to run to this day. It's fun. Love that. I love it. So it's little businesses like that. that I just appreciate. I mean, I mean, honestly, like venture fizz started out as a side business. That was a side hustle that it ended up morphing into where, what I do full-time now, but I, but I love it. Like on your LinkedIn, it's like featured on Brad Feld's blog and deal site. So if you're featured there, you're going to get a good flow from, from Brad Feld. I mean, there's good traffic coming from his site. So <laughs> yeah, that was like, there, were the, there was, a, that's so funny. The, uh, the, um, yes, that does exist. And it gives me, it's funny. It gives me like fulfillment because when you grow a company, um, you have to operate within the constructs of your own organization. So it's like you, you know, classic kind of founder leadership mistake would be, you know, you're many hundreds of people. Like you just like make a call that impacts like a cascade of like 40 other people's work. Um, uh, that's a very dangerous thing culturally and organizationally. So um, with Excel Everest, like it's, you know, I'm like the dictator of Excel Everest. Like, I, you know, like, it's like it's, if I want to change the price, I do it in five seconds. It's not, a, so it's, it's like, it's kind of a little yeah. entrepreneurial pl uh, playground. So it's, um, it, I, I enjoy um, keeping that one active. Okay. Well, let's talk about the the big company you're building. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Amada Health. So you gave a little bit of a Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of a foundation of how it originated, but let, let's get into the weeds of that. So how did the idea come to fruition to, uh, you know, and obviously what you're up to now? Yeah. So it was, uh, um, it was, well, it was an IDO, um, you know, at that point per kind of my comments, I full on knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, that was recognized in some of the leadership at IDO and it was a unique moment in digital health where, um, it was just clear that something could be done, but there was a, an interesting reflection that I have. And that was the conversations I was having with my friends from technology were just different than my medical school classmates. And, um, you know, it felt like the worlds of tech and healthcare needed to like hear each other out a little bit better. Um, and you know, there wasn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't think there was going to be a world where Silicon Valley just like disrupted healthcare from the side and like, but there needed to be, far better technology and design experiences in healthcare. So, you know, we, we had to think internally on, well, what, what, you know, fundamentally tech can make a difference in care, but you have to know why, which means you have to know what health outcomes you're working to achieve. And you have to approach this very pra practically, like you can't, you know, do surgery from afar. So what, what clinical areas can you make an enormous impact in, um, uh, you know, without dragging someone into a waiting room? Um, and, you know, that led us down this path of like recognizing that the diabetes continuum, you know, it would be an incredible place to start in metabolic disease generally, because, um, you know, it's this kind of disease area where there's a, a lot of people progressing from pre-diabetes into diabetes, and then from early diabetes to later diabetes. And it's an enormous problem for the health of the country and our economy, but it's one where the visit by visit approach of in-person care was not going to meet the need. So. Uh, you know, my, like I, I remember just getting on, you know, PubMed and just reading journal article after journal article of like all these um, uh, interventions that were actually shown to work in an in-person setting, but, you know, they required kind of that day by day 
week by week support, not go visit your office for, you know, your doctor's office for 15 minutes every six months. And I remember in the discussion section for all these like papers, it was like, oh, well, problem is it would be great. This of course would work, but it'll just never scale. Um, you know, no way we, you know, it's unlikely we're going to be able to get, you know, patients to come in, you know, at, at this frequency and it's going to be too expensive and you're going to have to, you know, so it was always, um, well, boy, boy, it's clear that this works, but shoot. <laughs> um, and, and it just felt like a critical opportunity. Like, well, yeah, tech can solve a lot of those challenges. Like you can bring care to people. You don't need to have people go to your care. Um, and that, that became kind of the, the genesis. And I mean, we, um, uh, we just kept running with the idea. I didn't know. I mean, I was very green at the time. I didn't know anything. I hadn't gone to any of the MBA part of Harvard. So I, I like read, um, I read a book called how to read a financial statement. I read a book called <laughs> <laughs> like the entrepreneur's guide to guide to business law. I like read all of Paul Graham's posts. I read the 10 day mm -hmm. MBA and I was just like, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Exactly. So how did you get started then? Like, how did you, you know, start to hone in on what you wanted to do and build the solution and then get, you know, someone to actually say, Hey, we'll buy that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it started by just like listening to potential users. So, I mean, before we wrote any code, we just did this kind of tour. We sat in homes of people who, you know, uh, we're told they had pre-diabetes or, um, uh, you know, suffered from, you know, metabolic disease. And we just, um, we listened to what care felt like for them and kind of just, you're able to quickly develop a pretty visceral sense of like what would or wouldn't work. Um, uh, and, and, you know, from day one, we came up with kind of some fundamentals of Amata, which honestly have not changed at all. It's like literally like the exact same principles. Um, uh, you know, reflection one, number one was you had to actually be pretty full stack. Like the um, external, I was called the single instrument fallacy where there's a prayer that that steps tracker or that like amazing health education content or that great coach or that great medical device, like one thing will work, you know, and the reality is like, you've got to have all the instruments um, uh, and have them play in a symphony. So um, uh, even that was kind of fundamental reflection where it's like, you're, you're not going to, we're not going to, there's not going to be a silver bullet in supporting these people we're talking to. And then secondly, was how important um, people are in the equation. So, you know, tomorrow we call it digital care made human. Um, and we just recognize that there's, you're, in order to help people achieve success with their, their goals in these care areas, like you're going to have to have care professionals and coaches and care teams and all these, you know, different, you know, levels of, of professionals intersecting with technology. Um, so it's a very, you know, Amada is like right in the strike zone of people meets tech. We call it digital care made human. Um, uh, because we didn't think that there was a route to do it, you know, any other way. And so we, it's funny. I mean, we, so we got, we had this concept of what like the care experience could look like. And then it was about prototyping it. We, um, I think our very first prototype, we just set up like a little Yammer group. Um, and I was like the first coach. And then we wrote some software to build the second where my co-founder Adrian was the coach. And like, we just kind of learned enough that, um, you know, just kind of progressed the, um, product vision, you know, a bit. And then once we had some early indications from a data standpoint that this could deliver some outcomes, we started talking to the healthcare constituents. And how did that go? Because I would think this was something that was uh, new to them, not something that they've purchased yeah. before. Um, so how do you go down the path of getting the early adopter customers to understand and believe and actually uh, you know, leverage what you're doing? Yeah, very hard. <laughs> it's like, I'm glad I didn't know right. what it would take. Um, it's, a, it's a very, um, healthcare, rightfully so, is a very risk-averse buying market. So 
um, when tech entrepreneurs come to me for guidance on starting a healthcare company, I always say, you're not a startup. Don't, it's, it's maybe sexy to buy from a startup uh, in other industries, but not in healthcare. Like you, you know, so from day one, Omano was a digital health company. <laughs> We're like mm, six people. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, you, you get your start by finding passionate people that know that what you're doing is good for, you know, the world. And I, um, the typical profile for the early customers for Omano was a medical director at an organization that just recognized that there's no alternative for the country, but to accomplish some of these care goals via virtual as a medium. And Omada uh, has a real unique approach and they liked my vision. And, um, uh, but even then it, it was tough. And I remember kind of one foundational meeting. I mean, I don't think we had any customers at the time. And, you know, I'm with a, a medical director at a health plan who's visiting me and we work. And it's like, you know, he like looks at me like, Sean, this real quick, look where we're at. Like you had to rent this conference room. <laughs> like, true. <laughs> true. Um, and, and he's like, he's like, look, I'm writing you into a contract that's five years long. It's with one of our biggest clients. Like what gives me confidence you're going to be here in five years. And it's this funny, like chicken and egg where, you know, what you share is, you know, look, we, A, from an orientation standpoint, we're in it for the, the long road here. And we're blessed with incredible investors that, you know, have, have plenty of capital to help support what we're doing. That's kind of the answer that you give. But what you want to say is, if you sign this contract, <laughs> like I will definitely be more likely to be here. Right. Exactly. Um, if you don't sign that. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah. So it's, um, uh, but then, you know, and then it starts to, it starts to work. And then, you know, the success begins breeding success, um, uh, and, but getting your early customers in healthcare is very hard. It's very challenging. And for your business, it has an extra layer of challenge as far as I can tell, because it's like you have three different customers, right? So you sell to employers and then there's the employees that are using it. And then there's the health plans that have an interest in what's happening too. So how like you have double-sided marketplaces where you've got, you know, buyers and sellers, whatever, but you've got an extra layer. So talk about how that all operates and how the platform works. And cause that's just an added layer of complexity. Yeah, no, it is. It is a very, I mean, and, and there's no, there's no kind of shying away from the complexity in, in, you know, in healthcare, which is okay, but it is, it is remarkably complex. I mean, you're, um, uh, it is multi-factorial, many stakeholders. So Amada, um, fundamentally we're a provider. So we contract, you know, as a virtual clinic, we file claims just like any other provider. When someone joins Amada, they agree to the same sort of notice of privacy practices that they would if they walked into Stanford Hospital. Um, so that's our operating model. That's that's the same no matter like how we're doing business. Um, Amada focuses mostly on um, sharing a vision with self-insured employers that their employees are um, uh, really not getting the support that they need with the existing healthcare ecosystem. And that's kind of Omada's right to exist in the world. And if you have employees with prediabetes or diabetes, um, you, you know, you, it behooves you to think about a different strategy in a different way. Um, and the employers sometimes will do a direct contract with, you know, Omada or companies like Omada. And you still kind of build through claims and build through their health plan, just like another provider, where sometimes they'll say, hey, you know what, could you work with my health plan to implement this? That would make my life a lot easier. And so that'll turn into a conversation with a health plan. So, you, you know, you do need to build different, different kind of organizational muscles because you have to have like all of a sudden because of that multiple 
sales and go-to-market teams where, you know, there's the teams that support the health plan relationships in contracting and then post-close. There's the teams that support the enterprises in post-close and all these need to work in lockstep. Um, uh, and that foundationally, what it, what it does for Amada is it enables us to offer our, um, you know, capabilities as a covered benefit. Um, so, you know, people don't have to pull out their credit card to, um, uh, you know, get our care. Um, the employers are, are, are sponsoring it through as self-insured employers. Um, um, but yeah, it is the, the very, um, and I'm just as proud of our technological innovation as our operational innovation. And I always, I mean, I, I describe Omada, Omada's entire journey because what we're doing is very, very new at the time. I mean, it was like, nobody was doing this, but you, it was like the, um, I describe it on the, the, as a scene on Apollo 13 where you've got like the round, the square CO2 cartridge in the round hole and you have to like connect them with only the like, you know, the pieces on the ship. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the journey we've been on. And like your, you know, customers, I mean, on your website, you have logos like American Eagle, Kaiser Permanente, Costco. So these are large companies that are leveraging your platform. Yeah, I know. We're, I mean, we're super, we're, I mean, we're super proud. It's, you know, it's really remarkable. I mean, I, um, I don't know how hard it was to get the first dozen customers. Now we have um, over 1600 employers that we work with. Wow. Um, you know, just like in, you know, it's what, what's so fun is you do hit this moment as a business where it's like, um, you know, your family always has trouble understanding what you do, but it's really fun to go to my mom and be like, Hey mom, you know what, any, if you work at Costco, like any employee that works at Costco, you know, we, we can care for them. They're, they've got Omada as a benefit. Like really? <laughs> it's like, and then you start like listing the ones that are like brands that they know, um, uh, you know, which is always really exciting, but it has, um, uh, you know, we have a lot of great partners and the employers help drive a lot of healthcare innovation. That's something that, you know, people don't quite know, but self-insured employers really press on um, uh, you know, innovation within the healthcare system in a, in a neat way. Well, it's an amazing benefit for the employees, right? Cause they're hopefully using it and getting healthier. And then obviously the employers are have an incentive to hopefully have employees use it because they're going to save money on their healthcare premiums. Right. Yep. Yep. So it's a dual, it's kind of a dual fold win. The, the, you know, the first is, uh, you know, the economics, like it's, you know, healthcare is delivered in a remarkably inefficient way. Like it's, it's absolutely low hanging fruit to, you know, find areas to, you know, realize savings. And then secondly, um, uh, it's a really neat benefit. It kind of makes a cultural statement to employees and, and employees tend to really like it. So sometimes I joke with um, our sales team. I'm like, you know, our second, our second deck and our second slide in our sales deck to employers should be the performance, the, the thanks, the thank you note performance guarantee. Like if you don't get thank you notes within like two days of deploying Omada, we'll put some of your fees back, but um, uh, it, it is a benefit that people really like. And so it feels good to employers. Like, well, this is awesome. It helps my bottom line. And, and culturally it's a huge win. So what's the current stage of the business? I mean, you've raised a lot of venture capital funding. I think from what I've found over 250 million, yep. you've made uh, you know, acquisition not too long ago. So where's the current you know, stage of the business? Where are things at, you know, with uh, Omada now? Yeah. I mean, we're full on, we're full on in growth mode and it's, it's kind of this funny. Um, I, I am so proud of what we've done. I mean, you know, 1600 employers, half a million members, like we're, you know, we're a known entity in the digital health space. Like we've pioneered kind of a lot of, uh, you know, go to market models that, you know, kind of become adopted. The, the um, in the same vein, I'm like, we haven't really done anything yet because the, the task at hand, you know, I tell the teams is we have to, 
keep running until tomorrow's epidemiologists, like literally looking at the data, they notice like bends in disease incidents and curves and, 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 you know, they're going to look at that and question what happened. And I want them to pull back the curtain, dig, and be like, oh, that's Omada. Um, and, you know, that's going to require many, many millions, uh, you know, of members. So um, we're, you know, we're in it for the long game. We keep, um, you know, we keep pressing hard to find neat areas of impact. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, it's like, it's, it's really exciting moment for us right now. I mean, we're um, like, I, I see a clear path to the millions uh, at Omada than I ever have, uh, you know, ever have before, which is so, which is a super fun. So. Another thing that I was um, reading about from your company was uh, Omada Insights Lab. So what, what, what is that all about? Yeah, so the, it's, it's, it actually, it's funny. It started as a um, thing that happened just across the various departments, uh, you know, of Omada pretty organically. So, you know, similar to there's no silver bullet, like to accomplish your job for your members, you have to combine disciplines. So, you know, Omada that includes data science, behavioral science, behavioral science PhDs that, you know, study little micro decisions for people with these disease areas and what matters and doesn't, you know, product designers that build, you know, exceptional product experiences, care delivery and care teams. And then, and then you know, really a whole kind of clinical design capability of like, what is the care plans based on comorbidities, based on clinical targets. And the, the team started collaborating um, uh, in a really neat, um, way internally to develop, uh, you know, innovation agendas and personalization to do kind of little, a, a little tunes and A/B tests on how we try the product and um, uh, and and it was so cool and they started kind of producing so many cool insights. Um, uh, you know, we turned it from from uh, you know internal to external where we started just you know publishing some of them and working to continue, and it has this kind of great. Um, great for Omada and our members because what happens is it allows the teams that are kind of running these concepts and experiments cross-disciplinary to like feel really real sense of pride. Like their work's out there in the world. They're like, this is so cool. Like we're going to try to answer this question that nobody's looked at it in this way. It, you know, it creates innovation, you know, inside the program and, and actually furthers the internal engine that, you know, produces differentiation for Omada. And then um, externally, people look at it and they're like, oh, this is pretty interesting work. Like it shines light on our brand. So it's a great um, kind of this dual purpose of it's great for marketing and sharing the the approach no matter how, um, which, uh, you know, a lot of times in healthcare, people really, really um, can gravitate. They want to know kind of the how and, and, and kind of the why of what you do. And then internally, it fuels even more innovation. So it's been a fun, it's been a fun thing to, to have come to light. Now, as you continue to scale, I'm assuming you are hiring quite aggressively. So, uh, so, so what are you currently hiring for? Like all different functional areas across the board or? Oh, every, yeah, every single function. It's like, the, yeah. we have this big sprint going on a model. We call it, you know, hundred by hundred. We're trying to hire hundred people in a hundred days just to like really just, you know, encourage the hiring managers to, you know, focus on hiring and, you know, and, and, uh, and so far it's working. I mean, we're making very, very steady progress, but we have, um, we have roles. I mean, you name it, um, the clinical team, the care teams, the engineering teams, the product teams, the legal teams, security teams—you um, know, across the across the board at Armada. Now, as you've talked about, you know, the size of your organization, uh, you know, you've took you've taken this company from where you are, uh, where you started to where you are now, right? So you've had to learn how to scale hiring. You just talked about some of the incentives that you're leveraging to hopefully, you know, have 
hiring managers focus on hiring. So what advice would you have for founders on hiring when the company starts to hit that rapid scale of growth? It's not, you know, hiring your first 10 people. This is hiring hundred people in hundred days type of hiring. So what advice would you give to founders once you hit that scale? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, a, well, there's, there's the cultural side on making sure that everybody recognizes that's, that's a, one of the most important duties for any leader and any, any manager, um, uh, you know, is bringing in exceptional talent and, and, you know, make sure that you're vocal about keeping the bar high because no matter what that differentiates your company, I mean, the talent you bring in is all you have because as a founder, I mean, you, you can't, the time is so scarce. You're just like, you know, sometimes you just like, you feel like you're in this moment. Well, I got a lot of really talented people here tomorrow. I'm just going to pray that they surprise me in a nice way. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> um, uh, so you've got to, you've got to keep the bar high. Otherwise your world becomes very challenging. Um, and then second to that, it becomes an operational machine and you have to um, really model it and uh, Kind of create an engine of it and think about you know sourcing throughput like you know if you if you want this many people hired on this date like here's what the here's actually what the process like look like to make that happen um uh and then you know make sure that people aren't doing you know or, or aren't um hiring in a scattershot way so there's this um concept of a structured interview plan which is ahead of the role you have you know you codify you codify the interview team it's not like Oh, hey, Keith, you know, I'm interviewing this candidate. Do you want to interview him? Like that's that's a way that's a, actually a lot of companies end up doing that. Like you fall into that trap, but like get specific on the interviewing team. And then uh, within each person who's interviewing, um, come up with the theme that they're interviewing against. Cause you know, that's another big hiring mistake where you'll you'll have like a candidate go through and meet six people and and each hiring, each person that they meet is just doing a resume walkthrough, which is like about the worst thing you can do. Cause you're not actually, you're actually pulling out the capabilities needed. So unless you like orchestrate the process, create a structured interview plan, have everybody aligned on what they're looking for and what they're poking at, um, you know, you're not going to end up with an optimal outcome. And it, you know, your goal is to, you're never going to have a hundred percent hit rate of successful hires, but your goal is to like, you know, get it, get it up as high as high as possible. So, you know, those are the, some things that you scale. you really have to instrument. Now you're a remote first culture, right? Like remote first for hiring. So uh, what have you learned as it relates to that? Like building a culture in a remote first environment. Yeah, and I mean, that's a change that we made in the context of COVID. Um, and it was really a response to um, where we sensed the market was going. Um, yet we're cautious to make the following statement, um, which is that in-person is hugely important. Um, uh, and that's how we feel about care. So it actually mapped onto our disposition. I mean, Romana is a virtual care company. We, we say, let, yeah, let's start to like deliver care from afar, but recognize that you can't do everything from afar. Like, you know, you know, you're not going to do spinal surgery as Romana. So, um, we put out kind of a destination to the company is yes, you can live in Minnesota, um, uh, you know, and be on the marketing team, no problem. But, you know, we are, it is required part of the job to come get with your team and get on a plane. Um, you know, on some some set of you know frequency, um, because uh, the thesis is that you by doing that can get to this neat balance where you get the energy from in person, um, and uh, it's intentional, it's purposeful because your hiring managers your managers bring the whole team out. Like you're not going to have them just sit on Zooms in the office. You're thinking about well, why are we here in person? Is it to you know do a retrospective on something that worked or didn't? Is it to align on strategies, is it that context and the why is to make sure everybody's clear on their goals for next year, is it social connection? So um, you give that kind of amplification of like in-person kind of 
emotional camaraderie and juice. And then, you know, you can go for a period of time, like in the ether working remotely, and then you need that again. So it's, um, uh, I think it's a huge mistake to be like, all right, remote first, nobody meets each other. I think that's not going to work for cultures. Um, uh, but I think it's a huge win if you uh, cast out a remote first and set the expectations that in person is going to be a huge part of this, you know, the, the culture here, um, uh, because I think you can get to a world where, um, uh, you know, you can um, uh, really benefit your organization um, and, and scale more quickly and, and opens up a lot of opportunities. Now, another key piece of being successful is figuring out, figuring out how to manage your time. So how do, how do you do that? That's got to be tricky. <laughs> I have an amazing EA who, you know, is like at the end of the day, my master, you know, I'm like a puppet. She's my master puppeteer. So it's like, <laughs> um, uh, but it's, yeah, do you like there, the, I mean, you know, tactics are um, really important here and it's, and it's, um, I have everything on my calendar. If it's a workout block, it's on my calendar. If it's like, uh, I mean, you, you name it, it's every minute is, accounted for um i even you know i'll structure in the contiguous blocks that i need to work on something like this afternoon i have a three-hour block i gotta like work on something heads down for three hours so um uh you got to make sure that you're oriented toward the job to be done and then the other um it's really helpful to do calendar audits on yourself like look literally like look look back a week or two um and ask yourself honestly did you spend time on the things that you think have the most leverage for the organization um, uh, and you know, if the answer is no, that's a problem. Um, uh, and you have to fix it. It's your obligation to fix it. It's because you're like rolling up sleeves and something that's not working well at a model. Well, you might need to make a change and, you know, either, a, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know, <laughs> something inside your organization. So you're, um, uh, uh, yeah, but it's, a, it's, it's hard and there's never enough time. I mean, it's, there's never enough time. Um, uh, so, you know, you have to be rigorous about it. So what's a good, uh, podcast or book recommendation for, uh, entrepreneurs? You know, it's funny. I'm going to start with the ones I read right out of the gate. It's, it's like, like any entrepreneur should, there's plenty, there's millions, like they're classics, like the hard thing about her things, like all the horse books, it's all incredible. Like Andy Grove, how about management, like definitely read all those. Um, um, but like some of the most useful were like so functionally specific, like the, like it's silly, like the, as an example, I mean, the, the entrepreneur's guide to business law, it's like, a, you know, they'll use it in law schools for like one-on-one as a business law textbook, but it's like, just read that. Then, you know, like the basics of this discipline at a level that you're going to need for the company, like, you know, how to read a financial statement, like, just know that, like, you should know like what it means to uh, like what stock-based compensation is <laughs> like, like you're, you know, an operating margin and like, so you have to get fluent with the, the business fundamentals um, and the more specificity, the better. So like get, you know, roll the sleeves and understand it at a foundational level. Um, uh, and don't forget that. So yes, read the classic, you know, headlight business books, but like, don't forget the fundamentals. Like if you don't understand, you know, the difference between, you know, like a cash flow statement and the balance sheet, like get on Khan Academy and watch some videos. Like, don't forget, don't forget to like, you know, get, get smart on the basics. That's great. Great advice. Uh, outside of work, what do you like to do? 
uh, buildings. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. Um, yeah, no, I, I like to build drones recently. Like, you just, it, oh, they're cool. fun. You, you can go on a website and buy like all the component parts and like solder them together and like, mm-hmm. you know, program their characteristics. Um, so I built a lot of first person view drones over the course of the pandemic. Um, my wife and I work on side projects together. She's an incredible designer. So we built a, an app called Coconut Baby just for fun while we were on, you know, paternity, maternity leave. Um, and it's like a cool little app that allows you to compare your kid to be size against like, you know, instead of just fruits and vegetables, like every app on there, like hundreds of categories, like all these cool animations. So just, um, we just like building stuff. That's so awesome. Well, Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background, all the great, you know, work that your guys are doing at Omada Health, which is incredibly meaningful and uh, all the great advice. I'm honored to be on, uh, on Keith. And yeah, thanks for all the uh, great questions. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.